the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey everyone, welcome to The Common Good on the Wednesday that feels like a Tuesday that felt like a Monday. Uh, this is going to be the whole week, isn't it? I saw somebody post on Instagram yesterday and it made me think of you. Somebody <laughs> oh. posted, uh, today is the most is the Mondayest Tuesday ever. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's your totally you. Well, it's funny, in a couple of weeks we're relaunching our Monday Night Services Act okay. community, which okay. by the way, launches September 16th. 5.30, you can buy a meal. 6.30, we have services. And 7.45, we make small groups available all over the building at Naperville's Yellow Box. I'll be there. You'll be there? Nope. All right. Well, that was, that was hurtful. But you, if you're not a part of a church, you should be there. Even if you are. Well, that's not nice. <laughs> you won't be part of your church for much that's longer. That's true. We did find, though, that honestly, a lot of people work or travel on the weekends, and that's kind of why we're doing this. Increasingly because so. They know, play right. football, and they play yes. soccer, and they play, yes. People are completely buried with weekend, and it's nice, too, because we get to have a meal together before anyone that wants to, so it feels like just doing life the whole evening together. Plus there's childcare and kid city and young families love it right now. So I'm excited. I for can it. imagine. That's cool. It's a big deal. Anyway, that's not what I want to talk about. What I do want to talk about is, uh, well, really how easily outraged everyone is. This mm-hmm. is a topic that we just keep coming back to. And you and I, we don't agree on everything, obviously, but we, you know, we pull articles and tweets and sound bites. And if you had to kind of name a theme of the last seven months, eight months that we've done this show, there's been a lot of outrage. Some of it, to be honest, we agree with. Yeah. Others time, other times, it just seems like, holy cow, what are we mad about today? And so there's a, uh, a Christian comedian named John Christ. I know that you're a fan. I am. And what have you, uh, before we listen to this, it just, when we listened to it before, uh, I am struck by something that you said months ago that was so good. And that is that comedians are our present day prophets. They, they really, <laughs> really are. And I think this is a good indication. It, that's this, why I'm saying that. And so in light of that, this might offend you. That's that's okay. He actually it's a video, so he won't get all of the humor of the jokes, but he creates these little clips that are often kind of speaking to some kind of social commentary. And because he's both a Christ follower and a comedian, I think I just think there's a lot of truth to that. So uh, I want you all to listen to it a little bit. And then Brian and I are going to react. Are you outraged by something you've seen on the Internet? Are you tired of typing out those long Facebook rants only to minimal response? Introducing Get Offended, the new app that helps you let the world know that your feelings have been hurt on the Internet. Oscar nominations, Confederate flags, Beyonce Super Bowl halftime performance. Our revolutionary technology provides icons on all your social media timelines, allowing you to get instantly offended at the push of a button. Don't let another zoo gorilla situation go by without letting the world know that you have a strong opinion. It's easy. Simply enter your ethnicity, religion, and political party, and we'll tailor content to help you get offended. Starbucks cups and gender bathrooms. Finally, no more thinking for yourself or forming your own opinions. Just get online and get angry. Politically inclined? Well, the old days of educating yourself and voting in elections are over. 
just get online and start screaming. Custom alerts even help you get offended while remaining completely uninformed. So from the makers of Change Your Profile Photo to make you feel like you've made a difference, comes Get Offended. See a YouTube video that you don't think is funny? What are you going to do, stop watching and move on with your day? Well, now you can take any humorous situation and instantly ruin it with Get Offended. So whether it's a lion being shot in Africa or a Muslim kid with a clock, don't miss your chance to get offended today about an issue you didn't even know existed yesterday. Get Offended, helping you let the opinions of strangers on the Internet determine your quality of life. Now available in the App Store and Google Play. <laughs> so I might regret suggesting that audio. If anybody needs, if anyone's looking to be a co-host of a radio show, <laughs> please let, reach out to me. I mean, this has your name on it too now, man. That's just, yeah, this, this ship is going down. <laughs> In together. I'm curious. I'd love to know just anecdotally off the top of your dome. What's your reaction to something like that? I think it's hilarious because oh, you do? Okay. all of us are guilty of this, yeah. right? This is, if you feel convicted by that, you should, but we all should. <laughs> Because we live in a culture that and social media has just poured gasoline on it. It hasn't created it, but it's just poured gasoline mm. where we can be insulted by everything. And if we were just a little less insulted sometimes, again, you have said there is time for righteous indignation and righteous anger. There are things to be really angry about. That doesn't mean that we're supposed to be angry about everything. And that's right. why, as a comedian, he can poke at our culture a little uh-huh. bit and be like, Hey, people, calm down a little bit every now and then. Not everything needs to offend us, because one of the problems is when everything offends you, then nothing is nothing offends you because it just all sounds like white noise. Right. Mm. If I'm equally offended on my on my social media by, you know, a Starbucks cup as I am about abortion. Well, then now they're in it kind of loses any any meaning. Why does it have to be white noise, Brian? (laughs) I'm offended. That is the phrase. Oh, (laughs) well, there's all sorts of there's pink noise. There's brown noise. Okay. And so, you, don't, you don't believe me? <laughs> I've just always said that's what we sleep with, with white noise, right? A little white noise maker? There's all sorts of different colors of noise. Is there really? There, <laughs> I, have no, I mean, I'm actually, I actually being serious. I do not know if no. you're being serious right I, mean, what I, I can see on your face. It is an I'm actual going, thing. I don't know how to engage this conversation right now. Um, no, it's a real thing. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Well, I, all I'm saying is, like, I think he makes a great point, And as comedians, they can make these kind of points in funny ways that say people... Like every now and then take a deep breath and assume the best of people. Don't always be offended by everything, but be offended by the things that you should be offended by. Like right. Pick yes. your hills to die on this. Don't, di- not, don't die on no hills. He's not saying don't be offended by uh, don't be offended by nothing. Right. He's saying be <laughs> that I double the negative don't there. I, I, think, <laughs> I think you know what I mean. Don't not ever. Don't exactly. be not offended. He's saying be, pick your battles. Yeah. Be right. offended by the things that are worthy of being offended and let the other things pass. And we'd all be a, we, we would all be a little happier, I think. There's a book that I haven't read that I haven't I've heard a number of people talk about that was called Unoffendable, and they actually kind of make the huh. case that a Christ follower should actually never be offended. That there there mm. is not really a place for us. And I guess that's based on your definition of offense. But I think you hit on something spot on though. He's able to say these things because he's a comedian. Yes. If a pastor stood in the pulpit and said any of those things, it would be, it'd be angry. Yeah. Well, actually, maybe not. I've actually seen some pretty insane sermon clips, too. But what I find so interesting is that I find myself wanting to totally agree and then at other times think, okay, so when I saw friends change their profile pics, mm-hmm. that maybe didn't actually affect any like practical change. But there is some value to solidarity, to saying, yeah. all right, we're standing with or for this topic, and I know it's a it's a dumb clip, and it's not meant to be dissected. But for me, part of my struggle is yes, there is constant outrage, and we need to kind of rein that in at times. 
But I also think there are some people that are like, oh, nothing upsets me. I'm not upset about any of this. Yeah. I'm like, are you? Are your eyes open? Like there, you know what I mean? Like there are extremes in both directions yep, where yep. it's just total apathy. And they're like, I'm a Jesus person. I just don't care about the exploitation of people, and that's not my thing. Right. Like, well, I don't, I don't know that we get to opt out of those things yeah. as Christ followers. So for me, it is a little bit of a both and. But because it's comedy, and because I really do think that comedians are modern day prophets, there, there is a little bit like in our gut that goes, "Oh, I don't like this," but I think he might be right in some regard, and that's kind of the sweet spot. I think of poking the cove a little bit yeah and uh, yeah it's just hard because social media makes it so easy to be so insulted like yeah you, right oh i'm gonna get a like if i'm insulted and other people are insulted by this <laughs> right, and, right. And, and i worry for like our kids because if we're if if we i wasn't raised in in this kind of culture where it's i don't think i was i don't remember everyone being outraged about everything mm. so that we've been like kind of uh, change to that what's it going to be like for people who are raised in it where like this yeah. is their default i do worry about that if eventually not being outraged by everything is going to be what's countercultural. we're going to have to raise our children to be it's going to hit a breaking point it's wild i think so i think people uh, as young as our kids eventually when they're on social media or when they're voting they're going okay yeah. enough, enough everybody i think maybe i'm being overly optimistic but i think that might be where we're headed. Anyway, John Chris, he's a funny comedian and he's on tour somewhere, I'm sure. And he's got a bunch of videos. And if you have other videos that you like of his or any comedian you want to send to us, please do that. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. We love interacting with that stuff. So feel free to tag us, uh, send it to us in a message, or just carry your pigeon right to our doorstep. <laughs> Coming up next out of Christianity Today, uh, Praying with Fire, What Moses and the Burning Bush Teach Us About Approaching God. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Well, howdy, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is dancing. You mm-hmm. can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can call us on the telephono, 312-660-2594, or wherever it is you get your podcast. Brian, have you listened to the podcast at half speed yet? I have not. Oh. I need to. You, okay. I keep saying When's I need to. your next date night? Make that a priority. What's next date night? <laughs> 52 dates for <laughs> just Just for two minutes, I promise you won't stop laughing for the rest of the night. Yes, that's funny. Yes, Listen, I do need to do it. At half the speed. I want to. Maybe I'll just make that a segment. What's funnier, half the speed or two times the speed? Half. Half No no contest. Okay. Twice the speed. I don't know how anyone actually does that. There's a couple of people here that do that. Yep. And I can't. They said, oh, you'll get used to it in 15, 20 minutes. And I was like, maybe I just don't have the patience for that. I don't think I can do it. My brain won't retain it. Well, the the reason people are doing it at double the speed is because they don't have the patience. (laughs) Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. Well, okay. It's kind of like, so I never learned how to type. Do we know this? I did. I, I typed like with two fingers. I'm, Still? Yeah. It's really, I never learned. Really? Never, yeah. Writing Probably is. the best class I took in high school. It's tr- that's what I'm saying. I wish I had learned back in high school. Yep. My brain was still moldable. It's yep. not anymore, clearly. But I know it would make me more efficient in the long run to actually sit down and learn. Yes. But I feel like I'm too impatient mm. to actually learn how to do it. Is it okay. kind of like that? It's kind of like guess, that. I guess, although there are some holes in your thing there, because <laughs> if you had the patience to do it, one like to learn it, then you're going to save a lot of time later, and that's going to help you with I your I know. Impatience. That's a sermon illustration or something, oh, isn't it? This is, What's the metaphor? What Bible verse know, is that like, illustrated? There's like a, there's like a Greek uh, mythology story mm. in here somewhere, I think. Loose in heaven, loose on earth or something. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. That's not at all what we're going to talk about no. coming up here right now. But uh, it's an article out of, how do you say it? ChristianityToday.com. It's called Praying with Fire. I think it's a, a play on 
playing with fire, which is sort of a pun, which I am, you of appreciate. course, a fan. Yep. Um, but it's talking a little bit about Moses and so, sort of some of what the context, kind of what it says is what Moses and the burning bush uh, teach us about approaching God. And you've read this already. It's an article I think that you suggested. I'd love to know why this article, why right now, what, what's it saying? Well, let me read the first paragraph because okay. I think it gets at the issue that uh, cards on the table. I'll struggle with at times. and I'd love to hear if you do, but okay. I think a lot of people out here we're going to be able to resonate with. Let me read the first paragraph. There are many reasons I don't pray. This is written by a guy by the name of Derek Rickshmaw. Uh, there are many reasons I don't pray. Distraction, busyness, or the sense that I should be doing something. These are all terrible, of course, but I think the saddest reason is simply boredom. If you've grown up in church or simply uh, acclimatized, acclimatized yeah. to the secular air we breathe, prayer can appear uh, as small potatoes. It's something good you know you're supposed to do because God, like your great Aunt Susie, would like you to call more often. Mm. But there is little urgency or anticipation. So let's pause there. That is a really damning paragraph about how a lot of us view prayer uh, or deal or kind of uh, approach prayer. And I think it's 100 percent right. Uh, do you resonate with that when he writes that? I okay. Can I be the wet blanket? Uh, you can. I've been thinking about this a long time because I remember years ago it was some kind of. It was sort of like when Numa videos were a big thing, yep, and yep. then everyone started making them like them. And Francis yep. Chan had one who I'm a big fan of, yep. and he was quoting, I want to say Ezekiel, and he was talking about the the reverence and fear with which we're to approach God. Mm-hmm. And I remember really resonating with that. Like, yes, that's true. I'm way too cavalier. I'm way too, yeah. And that really convicted me. And then the more that I thought about it, I was like, yeah, but that's old covenant though. Yeah. Like if the veil has been torn, if access has been granted, if, if Jesus is um, as incarnational as we preach that he is, I'm wondering if you think like, do, do Moses type philosophies when it comes to how we approach God still apply or does the, has the pendulum swung too far or, I can't even believe I'm making this case because I'm like the guy that will yep. often kind of bang the drum of like more yep. reverence, more awe. But I don't know. I've been kind of I've been wrestling with that a little bit. Lately. I think that's a great point. I do because th- I think it's a both and right. Like uh, the, the author then goes to work through Moses and the burning bush about how Moses was just tending sheep, just going about life. Right. And God draws Moses uh, and doesn't repel him with fire at the burning bush, but draws him. And, and you know, to summarize, it's kind of like this picture of awe that as we grow in awe, we could never be bored with prayer. We can never approach it that way, but mm. it's, a, it's a picture of God. So I think that is vitally important, this awe of God, this wonderment, this wonder of God at the same time, right? What's the New Testament tell us? Uh, approach him like he's your dad, right? Like there is this with comfortability, yes, right? There right. is this access. There is this comfortability where we're not trembling before him. And I think when we're really, uh, to put it in a weird way, when we're really getting prayer, when we're really understanding prayer, I suspect it's those two things being held somewhat, uh, is it even intention or together, hmm. uh, where there's a the right awe where God's not Santa Claus up in the sky, just there to do whatever we want him Buddy to do. Jesus, right? yeah. Or here, this guy talks about his great aunt Susie, right? It's not that. Right. But at the same time, there's this accessibility that says, no, approach me like your dad, not like this formality and this. And, and I think it's mm. a both and that probably we all probably go, which is often the case, right? We swing the pendulum one way or the right. other probably too often. Uh, let me let me read a little more here because I think it's so it's it's unpacking a pretty common scene. And actually, I did a segment by myself last week and I talked about 
being really inspired by the the taking off of the sandals. Like this mm. is this is holy ground. So it says the whole encounter is remarkable. But it is particularly significant that the Holy One appears as fire, not to repel, like you were saying, but to attract Moses, to cause him to draw near so he can meet with him and call him by name. You see, Israel would come to know a far, a more fearsome Yahweh revealed by fire. When the divine warrior routed the Egyptians at the Red Sea, he did so as a pillar of fire in Exodus 14. When they met the Redeemer at Sinai, he appeared in lightning, smoke, and flame. That's mm. Exodus 19. Uh, out of that flame, he spoke to them, inviting them into his covenant. Predictably, this glory was so terrifying that they asked Moses to mediate for them. The fiery one was far too much for them. Importantly, as Israel was about to cross over to the promised land, Moses reminded them of their fear, telling them not to construct idols for Yahweh, your God, is a consuming fire, a jealous God. It's only in light of that later reminder that we can appreciate the marvel of Moses' experience at the burning bush. In that moment... The God who is fire did not consume. Yes. Instead, with gracious, condescen- with gracious condescension, he invited Moses into the intimacy of personal relation, of address, of communion, of the exchanging of names, which I think is such an interesting juxtaposition because I'll often hear people, though, say when they talk about, you know, seeing God's backside, like, mm. oh, wouldn't you, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Don't you, what, aren't you jealous of Moses? And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> because in Jesus, I get to look at the fullness of yes. who God is. And I think we so often, we want to look backwards sometimes. So I think you're spot on that it does need to be a both and yeah. that there is, I think reverence is the right word, but sometimes I feel like that word, unfortunately has all sorts of other connotations that kind of loses its meaning. For yeah. People. I think, I think if, if what we're, I think you got to look at, what are you struggling with in prayer? If, if you're struggling with this boredom that he's talking about, this yeah. apathy, then there's probably a loss of awe. If you're struggling with God can never care what I have to say and this lack mm-hmm. of connection, you're probably losing the personal side of it. I, lo- I do appreciate the way he ends really taking one of those tacks that you're talking about. He says, considering the, ju- the one we're praying to, there should be an exhilarating rush of adrenaline and a quickening of the pulse when we take God's name on our lips. We are called to pray anywhere and everywhere, but we should still look to, quote, remove our sandals, approaching him with holy trepidation, joy and awe. Hmm. Prayer is nothing less than an intimate encounter with the voice from the flame. I just think I think that's a powerful picture uh, from the Old Testament. And it also kind of juxtaposes, right, this adrenaline, but also this intimacy piece. Yes, because I think. In the exact same way, though, sometimes God knows what we need isn't adrenaline. What we need is not exhilaration, but comfort, yes. calm, and that we see depictions of him in that regard as well. And I don't think it is one or the other. This is why I always find it so interesting that yeah. we have exhausted lexicons trying to describe God and explain yes. God and yes. depict God. And he's like, yeah, kind of, but not really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which you got is, it a little right, bit right. You're, And that's that's so humbling, that for, especially for Bible teachers, for pastors to say, yep, this side of eternity – we get a glimpse. Yes. We get we get a whisper, and I have a feeling that when we're actually before him, like all of these things will make so much more sense. Mm. All right, well, coming up next, I want to talk about this phrase, uh, microwave Christianity. What do you think that's going to be about? Uh, hmm, probably the lack of ability to wait. Oh, all right. I haven't read it, so I'm guessing. Either way, that's what we're talking about. Coming up next, microwave Christianity, the heart of the present-day church. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. The show is podcasted. We're on Twitter. You can find us on the Facebooks. You can type us into the Googles. I don't know if you search on Yahoo if we'll show up. Is Yahoo still a thing? Is that still viable? Yahoo is a thing. It is? Yes, Google, Yahoo. 
You know that Yahoo for a fact is still functioning? Sure. Well, want me to try right now while you give the particulars here? I kind of want to see if we can get a common good MySpace page. Yeah, Yahoo.com. There hey, we go. PJ, can we get a MySpace page? Are you uh, are you equipped to create a MySpace? Nope, he's not listening. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, speaking of rants, here's from ChristianHeadlines.com. America's microwave Christianity, the heart of the present-day church, must change. What's going on here? Yeah, and... Uh, I I agree with the premise behind this article. As I told you off air, it's a little paint with a broad brush. So we're going to acknowledge that from the beginning here like this. And it's a little bit of uh, you know what I mean when I say it's a little bit of get off my lawn here. No, it, it, what do you mean by that? It man? has the feel of somebody who's like, back in the day, we used to do this, but I don't know why, where that accent came from. What was that from, accent from? That was old person accent. <laughs> uh, and so I, it has a little bit of that feel. But if you can get past that a little bit, I actually think there's some points that are worth considering. This is quite a tease. <laughs> it is. So again, America's microwave Christianity. He says, America is in a spiritual decline. Uh, many churches have a form of microwave Christianity. And here's his definition of that. Service times last just over an hour. Prayer is glanced over and worshiped is designed to entertain the masses. And so he, this author uh, is trying to critique um, what he sees going on in evangelicalism and in the church right now and saying that, that um, we, that we don't wait well and we don't um, uh, our services aren't set up to wait on the Lord, to seek God uh, and, And he says, pastors and Christian leaders, we must again seek God as if our nation and the future of our children depend on it because it does. Where's the weeping? Where are the early morning prayer meetings? Where is the fasting? And so uh, I think what I want to say is those things are going on, right? Like there are still churches that are praying and that are fasting and doing this. what? Exactly. But I think what he's saying, it probably holds some merit in the sense of speaking of Christianity, uh, evangelical Christianity as a whole, kind of painting... Uh, a large swath here. Uh, he's saying, you know what? We probably need to get back a little bit to 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 a uh, foundation of prayer and to cr- crying out to God, and, and a little bit less on uh, individualism and entertainment. And again, it's a little get off my lawnie and a little bit of painting with a broad brush. <laughs> get but, off my lawnie. <laughs> yeah, but I think if we could get by that, I think I think there is something here for us to be challenged by and chew on. All right, so I always love word studies, probably to a fault, but mm-hmm. uh, I do totally agree. There's a lot of, not only get off my lawn is that what you said? That was it. Or get off my <laughs> lawn-esque. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man, you know what? Did you hear me? I said get off my lawn. Oh, I was not prepared for that. <laughs> not either. PJ is giggling yes. the most I've ever seen him giggle. His Enneagram <laughs> 4 is very happy right now. Um, but here's what I, okay, so he does, he does make a point here, because I, I think whenever you say, Churches need to start doing this, yes. or no churches do that. He's probably being intentionally hyperbolic, okay. and you and I want to parse verbs, but I think he understands there are still churches that yeah. pray, that have space for lament, that pursue worship in a holistic way and last more than an hour. I don't know why that one's in there, but I yeah. like what he says here. Uh, he says, we can once again position ourselves to seek God. And he quotes Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen: you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He says, to seek in this context means to find what is missing. The Hebrew word for seek, bakash, has a very strong meaning. Imagine losing your child in a crowded mall. Your entire heart would be engaged. How would you spend your time? Where would your energy be concerned? Now, parallel this with seeking God. 
pastors and Christian leaders, we must again seek God mm. as if our nation and the future of our children depend on it because it does. And then he says, where's the weeping and where are the early morning prayer meetings? Where's the fasting? I think that actually is happening in a lot of ways, but I like the call to seeking because that's yeah. going to look different <clears throat> for different people. When we glorify or romanticize prayer meetings only happen early in the morning yes. or Jesus only shows up if your service is more than 60 minutes. I think some of those categories are a little arbitrary. I think plenty of our brothers and sisters in the East would say, wait, what you mean for 60 minutes? Like that's just the opening for us. Like it's going to be in four or five hours. I think a lot of that comes down to more peripheral to what he's actually making the point. And I think he's got some points there for sure that what does seeking look like uh, is a charge that I'm convicted by. Yeah. And I think it was interesting. I was with um, a group of, there's this pastor's group I meet with, uh, once a month and they're awesome. <clears throat> it's great to have a group of other pastors that you meet with when you're a pastor, because they don't have any vested interest in your church. They can speak honestly. You could talk about, sometimes you need to talk to other people who do what you do. Right. So uh-huh. they, they have this, and we were discussing just today, uh, the, the struggle that many of us feel in our own churches and churches in general for prayer, for prayerfulness, for a culture of prayer. And that's a little bit, uh, what this author, Shane Eidelman, you've probably heard of Shane Eidelman. He wrote this article. He says, while five minute devotions and prayers have their place, we will starve in these dire days. We need powerful times of prayer, devotion and worship without the heartbeat of prayer. The body of Christ will resemble a corpse. The church is dying on her feet because she's not living on her knees. Prayerlessness in the pulpit leads to apostasy prayer. And he starts going through prayerlessness hmm. and trying to draw the church back to being prayerful for our nation for the needs of our people, but also just for uh, our, our churches. Like, do we bathe our churches in prayer? And he's, he's going, he's setting this up against churches that entertain. Yeah, and, right. and I'm not sure that's a fair, you know, any church that, that kind of has lights and smoke and entertainment doesn't pray. And any church that does pray. And I think that's unfair, yeah. right? It almost is like pitting styles against exactly. each other. But I do like what he's saying here about a, a calling the church back to, uh, prayerfulness, repentance, and and just yeah, prayerfulness, and this keeping watch. I I do think that that that's and the seeking, like you talked about, I think it's a really important call. Which okay, that's maybe what he's getting at with the title, the microwave piece, because he he gets into some pretty sp- specific pieces of his own doctrine and politics. Where a lot of times I'll hear this case, you know, he's many pastors avoid offending their audiences and seek to be motivational rather than convicting. Um, I would say, why not? Both. Mm. I don't think it's a sin to be motivational, which I think sometimes the uh, the excuse is, yeah, people really hate me as a person. That's how you know you're preaching the gospel. Mm. Like I'm real mean about it, and I don't worry about who I offend. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not always a badge of honor. Sometimes, maybe that means you're just being a jerk. Yes. (laughs) So we sort of pat ourselves on the back, like, oh, we people hate attending here. That's how you know we really figured it out. And you're like. I don't know. A lot of Jesus's ministry, it seems like there were crowds around. Like yeah, he's like, yeah. hey, tell you what, um, I'll feed you for free. Yeah. That by modern standards to some eyes would seem gimmicky. Mm. But you know what I mean? Like Jesus yeah. meets these physical needs. So when we talk, when we, I don't know, when we rail on youth pastors that like pay for pizza so the kid will come to the lock in and yep. people are like, ah, kids should want to hear the word. I'm like, totally agree. But they don't. So yep. if it takes buying them pizza so they can get a glimpse of the gospel. I'm going to buy the pizza. You know what they want is pizza. It's so funny you bring that up because when I was a youth pastor, we did something called, I was, get get ready for how creatively I coined this. <laughs> it was called outreach night <laughs> once a month. Ooh, that's sexy. And for the junior hires, I said, here's what we're going to do. 
you bring a friend, I'll bring the pizza. Nice. And we would do exactly what you said. I would have boxes of pizza there, and there was always double the number of friends there. Then that That's and so it good. Was just, it's not rocket science. But, but I do think his call to prayerfulness is one that I think I'm wrestling with in my own life uh, as a pastor, but also just as a person. Uh, what is it that creates cultures of prayer? Why do we sometimes often tend away from prayer. What does that say about us? I think it's something really worth wrestling with as churches and as individuals. Well, and we read that article last week about, um, I think it was uh, Karen Pryor, and she was talking about what even yeah. reading digitally is doing to our brains. It's it's creating a real challenge for us to even sit with any literature. And I think we're, we're growing with that same sort of like easily distracted yeah. mentality. I think it's actually affecting like our neurobiology. That's, I think, a part of it. How many times have you tried to sit silently and been tempted to check your phone 14 times? Like we all we all are there. So, yeah, get off my lawniness aside. I think he's got some good points. Let's not microwave this thing that's meant to be kind of cultivated formation. Discipleship is inefficient. It takes time. And and that I think will will require us to actually sit in the discomfort sometimes a little bit. That's how we grow. All right, coming up next, a pastor that I don't think Brian's ever heard of. His name is Scott Sauls, <laughs> and uh, we've quoted from him more than almost anybody else on the show. We should have, like, Thursdays with Sauls. Thursdays. Ooh, that's pretty good. Saturdays with Sauls. We don't have a Saturday uh, show. No, nobody not. Anyway, he tweeted something out that uh, I think is going to make some people mad, but also maybe encourage other people. We're going to read it and react. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, who is wearing a new outfit. To- oh, no, same thing. Same. Different shorts. Same. <laughs> That's, I was just sensing different shorts oh. in the... Uh, and ironically, I always tell people, whenever we talk about this blue hoodie I always wear, mm-hmm. it's always because it's just in the back of my car. You're not wearing a hoodie in the summer, and so I just bring it for our cold studio. Right. Nope, been wearing this all day today. <laughs> oh, you have? The fall You're... weather is back. I just pulled this out. I get, mm, wearing this one all day. Shattering the fourth wall of yes, the show, actually yes. Wearing the hoodie that is in all of our pictures, by the way. I think almost every picture in the last two months you've been wearing that yeah, I lovely think blue hoodie. You want to give me my birthday's in February. If you give me a matching one, I'll uh, I'll wear it. Okay, done. I should not have said that. <laughs> Gosh darn it. Okay, you can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show, uh, Twitter at Common Good Talk, eleven sixty hope dot com slash the Common Good or wyll dot com slash the Common Good. Mm-hmm. I checked. That also works. Um, plus you can call us 312-660-2594. And if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that sometimes we're pulling articles. Sometimes we're kind of riffing on something we're seeing in media. Sometimes we're getting audio clips from comedians, but pretty often we'll find something on Twitter that we find at least interesting. And there's a guy named Scott Sauls who is also a pastor and a writer and a blogger and has a lot of really, really good content out there. Uh, but also lately, it seems like, is stirring the pot a little more than he maybe historically has. Yeah. And you came across a tweet. So I want I want you to read it. And then I want to get some of your initial reactions. And then we're <clears> going to jump to Facebook because we have some Facebook reactions there as well. And let's just see where this goes. Yep. Saul's tweeted uh, this morning, I, I believe, or yesterday morning. If Christians redirected their energy away from complaining about political leaders toward praying for the flourishing of society instead... I'll bet you $5 it will make a much bigger and better difference. Okay. I'm like, ooh, five bucks. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 like, I like where he's going here. Again, tweets are main, meant a little bit to be provocative, and there's only so much you can say in 140 characters. You have 280 now. Do you really? Yes. Oh, wait, talked, I did know this. No, talked. no, no, I knew this. I knew this. <laughs> nope, I knew this. Uh, so 
uh, I do resonate with what he's saying, redirect their energy away from complaining about political leaders. I would say uh, a couple of questions. Like, what does he mean by flourishing of society? Sure. Right. What does he mean by flourishing of society? Uh, secondly, um, what would he call, is there a difference in his mind about pol- complaining about co- political leaders and um, more justifiably complaining, complaining is not the right word, standing up against maybe political issues or okay. injustice? All right. Uh, I wonder if he were here and we could ask him to explain his tweet if those are going to be two different things. Well, Brian, you'll be happy to know that he's here right now. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> Uh, you, you look terrified for half a I'm second. Pretty confident he's not here. So the complaining about political leaders, yeah, that doesn't do much good, and and we do see a lot of that. And he's probably saying, "Hey, there's a lot of wasted energy there. Why don't we pray for our culture? Pray for the quote unquote flourishing of society." Um, so I'm okay with that dichotomy, but I would say there's also something to be said about complaining or actively uh, speaking up against political policy. Um, injustice, whatever else it might be. I guess I'm saying these aren't the only two options. All right. So let me read some of the comments so far. And uh, if you want to see, you can go to Facebook uh, slash Facebook.com, as you used to say, slash uh, the Common Good Radio Show. And uh, here are a couple of the comments. Uh, Joe Cronin said, you can do both. Winky mm-hmm. face. So oh, the winky face. have the winky face in there. It's a guy named Daniel Air- Airman. Am I saying it correctly? I Daniel Ermin. Oh, is it Ermin? Okay. He said, uh, or instead of complaining about them, we just prayed for them. Flourishing of society sure sounds laden with a political agenda. That's interesting. Mm. Uh, Zach Salvati, who is a scientist, super smart dude. He said, I mean, I would agree if the OP literally meant complaining, but I feel like he's discounting political activism by oversimplifying all critique. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting comment. And then Marsha Vaughn, Dr. Marsha Vaughn, who's been on this show. Yes. Brilliant. She said, if only there was a shared view of what, quote, the flourishing of society meant, which is where I want to land, because I think she's right. I think there's where the rub really lies, because and again, to your point, it's a tweet. So, you know, we don't have in the studio. We can't unpack it. That tends to be where all of the fangs come out the most intensely. We don't actually agree on what the flourishing of society looks like or to whom it applies or like that's where it gets really messy. And I'd love to know. Like what you think, just knowing what you know about him as a pastor and a writer, because what do I think he thinks flourishing of society? Kinda, looks like? Yeah, because he what he says at the beginning is if Christians redirected their energy away from which sort of implies, hey, let's stop complaining. And I'm like, I don't know that that's necessarily good because mm-hmm. we do need critique. That's part of the prophetic imagination is speaking truth to power, even if indirectly. But I also and I've said this in pulpits before. Have I prayed for this person mm-hmm. even half as much as I've complained about exactly. them, which isn't, that's not a biblical ratio, but I, I would like to think, okay, if we're going to complain, we're going to critique. We should be praying for them at least as much. Yes. Do both, but don't do one without the other. Maybe either way, to be honest, maybe that goes both ways. And I'm not sure, but I'd love to know what you kind of think he means by the, the flourishing of society. Yeah. I think we get good feels from his much more extensive books, right? Jesus outside right. the lines uh, and some others that, Jesus outside the lines. I think any of you out there, I would I would highly encourage you to read it because it deals with a lot of uh, the political landscape. How Christians should, uh, in his opinion, should interact politically. In fact, he or somebody tweeted to him or something that with the new that book's like five years old, and now this new political landscape we're in. His book has actually seen a big bump in sales recently because people are like searching for something. He tweeted that actually. Yeah. Did he really tweet uh-huh. that? Okay. 
Um, and so I think he sees flourishing of society uh, in a way in which the marginalized and the hurting are being taken care of, uh, of where we are looking out for the best of people. We are supporting one another. Um, you know, I think where where things like racism and, um, you know, and other uh, injustices are, are not what uh, are not really um, that active within our culture. Uh, that's some of the things that I see in his other writings and I, how I'm guessing he would define the flourishing of society. I, I think uh, this, hopefully this isn't misstepping. I think we have leaders and politicians, both left and right though, that at their core are not working for the flourishing of society mm-hmm. that have ulterior motives that have probably their hands in a number of cookie jars. And I, again, I don't think that's a right or left thing. I think that's both. That's not to say that I don't think that there are really, really good-hearted, altruistic people in public office. But if part of what we're saying is the goal is flourishing, the flourishing Mm -hmm. of society, and there are people in political power that are actively or subtly working against that, doesn't that warrant some kind of critique? Yes. Yeah, and that's why I would love to hear more. Again, it's... it's Let's get him on the show! It's the beauty and the fall of Twitter that, uh, you know, would would he feel comfortable replacing the word complaining with critiquing? Or those two mm. different things. Those feel two different things to me. I don't think he would say if they redirected their energy away from critique about political leaders. Um, but maybe maybe I'm parsing the words too much here because there are certainly times uh, where we not only need to stand up against certain political leaders, but certainly against policy or things that these political leaders are doing. And yeah. I, from all of his writings, he's going to be right in that line. He's not going to be one of those people who are like, oh, just support whoever's in office. Just do it. Or don't support, just pray. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I, I think that's part of where, like. He's more trying to point us, hey, how much, it's what you said. How much time do I actually spend praying for the flourishing of society, for the people that I don't like, for well, whatever ma- else? And maybe that would be my critique of this. Maybe not saying, hey, redirect your complaining, but say, hey, couple that with. Yes, yes, And yes. complaining and right. Complaining and critique are totally different. But I think of like. What's the passage everyone quotes in Weddings, 1 Corinthians 13? He yep. kind of lists all these things. He's like, if you're doing all of that without love, it's just a symbol. It's just, yeah. a, it's just a gong. And maybe that's what he's getting at is, hey, these complaints without any love, without any – and that's part of what prayer does, right? It moves yes. our heart to love in a way that is way beyond us. Maybe that's part of the challenge for all of us. Like, yeah, we need to critique power. We need to speak truth to power. Mm-hmm. But if we're not doing any of that in love and not just yeah. our own love but the love of Jesus, then – Scripture tells us, man, it's just a symbol. It's just noise. You're just adding to the noise, and I think we can do better. Okay, so friends, uh, in the second hour, you are not going to want to miss it. For a full hour, Matt Sorens from World Relief, we're going to talk refugees, we're going to talk immigration, and all sorts of things that I think so often Christianity wants to talk about, but we don't know how to. He's going to be with us for the whole hour. Uh, You're not going to miss it. It's going to be fantastic on The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the right Reverend Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. 
literally wherever it is you get your podcast. We've not heard from a single person that said they couldn't find the podcast. Nope. So I guess that's a good sign. If you like and subscribe, that stuff does somehow magically actually help us out. And I say this most times that we have an in-studio guest. Yep. But this time... To the point that when we don't say it for someone, they're going to be really excited. That's what I'm insulted. saying. I want a, like a proverbial <laughs> drum roll to just how excited I am about this particular in-studio guest. It is... My good friend, my good friend, we've met once, just now. <laughs> Matt Sorens, welcome to the show, sir. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Thanks for being here. One of the things that I've been doing with guests, by the way, rather than just sort of read a bio, is to let the guests introduce themselves to the audience. And that could be ministerial, professional, personal, as weird or quirky or straight-laced <laughs> as you want to make it. Why don't you just introduce who you are and what you do? Sure. So uh, I live in Aurora, Illinois. Um the second greatest city in the state of Illinois. That's right. Um, and <laughs> after <I'm>, Lombard, <laughs> clearly. Um, and married, my wife Diana and I have three kids. Mm. I work at World Relief, which is uh, a Christian global humanitarian organization. Our mission at World Relief is to empower the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Mm. So we do that in various places around the world. I actually got my start with World Relief as a college senior doing an internship with World Relief Nicaragua. Wow. But oh, wow. Uh, for the last 13 years, I've been on our staff in the suburbs of Chicago, where okay. as we try to live out that mission of empowering the church to serve the vulnerable, we're primarily focused on serving refugees and other immigrants. Wow. Uh, so actually, World Relief is one of nine agencies nationally that works with the U.S. State Department to help resettle refugees. Wow. So our government decides who's coming, but we are there at the airport from when they arrive and wow. help connect each family or individual to um, to the support they need and hopefully to a team from a local church that's going to come alongside them and help support them. Uh, I also have a kind of a, an additional role with World Relief, uh, or t- uh, in complementing my role with World Relief as the national coordinator for the Evangelical Immigration Table, wow. which is a, a coalition that includes World Relief, but also a bunch of other national Christian groups, wow. the National Association of Evangelicals, the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, um, National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, and a few others, really focusing on how do we help uh, both the church think about issues of immigration in ways that are consistent with with the scriptures, and then how do we help encourage elected officials to apply those principles to public policy? Wow! wow. So you're not doing much then, as we're saying. Just not <laughs> a, just a lot of downtime. Of you know, waiting yeah. tables. Um, I keep pretty busy. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when I was at uh, the last church I was at was Glenham Bible Church, mm-hmm. and uh, we were doing a lot of work with World Relief, and I just remember having. No idea by just the number of refugees right there on Roosevelt Road. And I'm sure that's a lot of different places. Can you help our audience who's like, are there even refugees around here? Uh, maybe educate us a little bit about uh, about what the western suburbs and all of around us are like. Yeah, so I mean, there's various agencies in the city of Chicago that have, have been doing refugee resettlement for for decades. Yeah. Uh, World Relief is the only one in the western suburbs, mm-hmm. and so we have offices in Carroll Stream now. It used to be in Wheaton, but we're still serving the whole kind of DuPage County area, mm-hmm. as well as in Aurora. Um, so, and then we're also in the city as well, in yeah. the Albany Park in the north side. Um, I actually lived in one of those apartment complexes on really? Roosevelt Road yeah. in Glen Ellen for eight years, um, wow. where most of my neighbors were refugees yeah. and, and other immigrants um, from other who didn't come to us as refugees yeah. as well. Wow. Um, but to me, they, I always tell people they were sort of my tutors in understanding refugee issues. Yeah, um, as people who've who've lived this that experience of having been forced to flee persecution. Uh, because of their religion or their race or their ethnicity, their political opinion, wow. and um, restarted their lives here in Chicagoland. And again, often with the help from churches like Glen Ellen Bible yep, and yep. dozens of other churches in in um, the western suburbs, and lots of volunteers and um, you know school districts and others who come alongside them. And um, you know, I've gotten to see kids who were 12 years old when they landed here and now in college or wow. graduate school. And unbelievable. Um, yeah, that 
I also got a lot of great food in that apartment complex. Uh, <laughs> yes, I'm sure of it. I gained yeah. about 40 pounds of meat. Uh, that's right there. funny. That's um, funny. Suffering for the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of like a cultural faux pas to like, turn down a, a meal. That's right. But that's in awesome. other cultures, like you walk by someone's apartment and they call you in and tell you to come and eat some food. It's not our culture where you make plans four months in advance. So, <laughs> you know, maybe, you like sync your Google calendars together. Yeah. <laughs> um, so sometimes it would be two or three dinners, you know, on a given night and wow. Burmese food and Somali food and Mexican wow. food. And um, it's all really good. That's <laughs> remarkable. All right. So uh, we, you're going to be here the entire hour and just cards on the table. I've heard you speak a number, number, a number of times. I think you're brilliant. I think you have so much wisdom to offer the church. I don't want to leapfrog all of that because I know plenty of people listening who would consider themselves Christians are wondering, like you've mentioned, Okay, what does the Bible actually have to say about this? So I want to I want to tackle a little bit of that first, so that hopefully someone listening that maybe would be inclined to, to disagree or to turn it off to say, okay, oh, it makes a case, makes a strong case. So for the next you know time together, we can actually unpack that a little bit. What what have you found to be some of the kind of core biblical principles behind your work? Yeah, there are, are so many, but I I think it's pretty typical for a lot of Christians to not have necessarily been challenged to think about them. I I grew up in a great church up in Wisconsin, uh, a church I'm very grateful for. It led me to Jesus along with my parents, but I don't think I ever heard a sermon on what the Bible says about immigrants or, you know, I managed to go through a great Christian college, but I don't remember that being a major theme. Um, Actually, the Bible does say a ton on this topic. Mm. Um, In fact, the Hebrew word for uh, a resident alien or a foreigner, the the idea of an immigrant is the Hebrew word ger. That word alone appears in the Hebrew scriptures 92 times. No kidding. So this is actually something that comes up often. Wow. And especially in the Old Testament, we often will find the the immigrant or the foreigner, the sojourner, the stranger, depending upon which translation you're reading in English. That category of person is listed alongside the orphan and the widow mm. as these uniquely vulnerable people whom God makes very clear he loves. Um, Psalm 146, 9 would be one example of that. And then he goes beyond just saying, I love these people and I'm going to protect them. He commands his people to watch out for these vulnerable groups of people as well. So, for example, in in Deuteronomy 10, um, we see that it's very explicit. God says, I love foreigners and orphans and widows, and so you shall love them too. Mm. And in the Old Testament, often for the people of Israel, that was tied back to the Israelites' own story as foreigners in the land of Egypt. Uh, God tells his people quite explicitly, you know what it's like to be foreigners and to be mistreated as foreigners because you lived that under Pharaoh. That was your people's story. And so... Once you're established in this promised land that I have, you know, I've prepared for you and and things are going well, you need to remember that history. You need to remember that it was my grace that brought you from that place of desperation Mm. in slavery in Egypt to where you are now. Mm. Because if you forget that, you'll turn to the people who come after you and you'll be just as terrible to them, to the immigrants who come into the land of Israel, as Pharaoh was to you. Mm. And I think that should resonate with American Christians because... um, you know, very few American Christians are completely Native American, which means we all have an immigrant ancestry, yes, whether that's right. 500 years ago, whether it was on the Mayflower or a form of forced migration and slavery, mm-hmm. whether it was the, through Ellis Island or, you know, last week and sometimes some combination thereof. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But I think most Americans have a little bit of an idea of that story without enough actual information to realize the complexity of the history of immigration to the U.S. So Mm. there's always been people welcoming immigrants Mm. and going back to the colonial area, there's always been people saying, no, there's too many of these people. They're too different. They can't possibly fit in. Mm. And then I would just say another biblical theme, and this gets into the New Testament, is that overarching command to love our neighbors. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty clear in Jesus's parable of the Good Samaritan that when we're commanded to love our neighbors, we don't get to narrowly define that just to be people of our same ethnic group or our same religion or who happen to be well-known to us because they live next to us. Mm-hmm. 
And then the Great Commission, uh, to go and make disciples of all nations. Of course, we can and should do that by sending people all over the world. And I'm, you know, I think that's really important. Yeah. But we're missing something profound if we don't notice that God and his sovereignty has sent people from literally every nation in the world to the United States. That's right. And people come for a variety of reasons, um, but many of them already know Jesus. That's important to know. Some of them have some things to teach the rest of us about yeah. following Jesus. That's right. But others are not yet followers of Christ and frankly might never have encountered the story of the gospel had they stayed in their country of origin. That's but we right. have an opportunity here in the context of the U.S. because of the migration of people. That's so good. Matt Soren's taking us to school right off the top of the bat. I think it's probably clear why I'm so excited to have you for the entire hour. You're going to stick around. We're going to kind of take a deeper dive into everything you're just talking about. That's been Matt Soren's from World Relief here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with, you guessed it, your friend of mine, Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, plus podcasts and Twitter. Just Google it. Just Google us for the show. You'll find all of it. Uh, we're well, joined. Yesterday we learned when we Google the show, we just get your website. Well, that's so. the first hit, which I didn't realize. And you apparently that really stuck with you. Yeah, I had no idea. Last night. So, we'll talk off air about that a little bit. Uh, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> but we're joined the entire hour by Matt Sorens of World Relief. And Matt, you were... Just talking about a topic that I know for a lot of people, somebody's saying yes, and they're like fist pumping the air right now. Other people are thinking, who is this guy? I've never heard any of this. And you just talked about sort of the biblical case for how we're to treat immigrants and refugees. But I imagine, I mean, let's just address the elephant in the room. Somebody's listening, thinking, yeah, but what about the ones who came here illegally? Yeah. What would you say to that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the first thing I would say is I think it is important to acknowledge that roughly three quarters of the immigrants in the United States are lawfully present. So, for three example, quarters. Yeah. Wow. So, for example, if you talk about refugees, if someone in, came to the United States as a refugee, that means they were invited by the U.S. State Department. Okay. They were vetted abroad. Um, it's a very selective process. So those people are lawfully present. So right. are you know immigrants who are sponsored by family members or an employer. Right. And that's most immigrants in the country. But you still have about 11 million people who are not lawfully present, mm-hmm. which either means they came into the country unlawfully, that's roughly half of those people, or they came on a temporary visa, like a student visa or a tourist visa, and they overstayed it mm-hmm. or otherwise violated the terms of their visa. So that's too big of a number to just brush that aside yeah. and say, well, we, we don't have to think about this. <laughs> right. Um, biblically, I think, again, you've got this tension. On one hand, you have all these commands to love and to welcome people and to make disciples of all nations. Some of those people may not have legal status. We still mm. want them to know Jesus. Yes. We want to love them. Yeah. And yet we want to we want to obey the law. Yeah. And there's biblical reasons for that, too. Romans chapter 13 is probably the passage that would come up most often. Be subject to the governing authorities. The authorities mm-hmm. that exist have been established by God. So I think for a lot of Christians, they hit this tension point. It's, okay, should we love and welcome people or should we follow the law? Mm. And my answer to that is usually yes. Um, we, we should do both. And yeah. the good news is, at least in, at the present, there's not actually the tension that I think some people presume there is, mm-hmm. at least for those of us who happen to be blessed to, to be U.S. citizens. So there's nothing in the law in the United States or the state of Illinois or um, you know, at a local level that says you can't befriend someone who you suspect is unlawfully in the country. Mm-hmm. You can't have them over for a meal. You can't teach them English or you can't you know, teach them Sunday school at church or baptize them or serve them communion. Uh, there's no requirement in the law that says you have to report someone who you suspect is in the country unlawfully. Hmm. Um, uh, Rick Warren said once, you know, a good Samaritan doesn't stop and ask the injured person on the side of the road, are you legal or illegal? Hmm. And I think, you know, I would argue the government should not expect the church to do that. Yeah. And we should be wary as uh, Christian ministries and churches of any sort of legislation that would place a, a real restriction on religious freedom that would say, 
the church needs to basically uh, avoid helping or serving or discipling mm. this category of person. Mm. At the moment, there's been some proposals in that direction, but nothing that's passed into law that's currently governing. Mm. Now, it's a harder question if you are an undocumented immigrant who's a believer. And there's mm. a bunch of those people. I'm yeah. sure there's a bunch of those people in your listening area that's, uh, you know, as if you look at the church in the United States, it's actually declining in most categories of demographics and mm. it's growing among immigrant communities. Wow. And with that, that's a, it's not a good thing that it's declining among native-born white U.S. citizens like me, but it's a great thing that it's growing among immigrants. With that comes some complicated issues. Mm. You've got people who are uh, unlawfully in the country for usually complicated reasons. There's not one single story that describes everyone in this category. Um, I, I think it's important for people to know that most of those immigrants are desperate for legal status. Mm. Um, I always think of some one of my former neighbors in that apartment complex I used to live in. He's from Mexico, uh, so he didn't come as a refugee. He came crossing the border unlawfully decades ago. I think he came in the 80s. And was not a Christian when he got here, but at some point someone shared the gospel with him and he became a follower of Jesus and became a really passionate follower of Jesus. Actually went, took some Bible theology classes to wow. uh, uh, become a lay leader in his church. And he's familiar with Romans chapter 13, uh, yeah. with that command to be subject to the governing authorities. So if he's going to take that seriously, his first step is go talk to our legal counselors at World Relief or talk to a lawyer. And he's, he's done that. And they've basically had to tell him that for someone in his circumstance, there's no option to get legal status wow. to go back. I mean, he can go back to Mexico and some well-meaning people would probably tell him that just go back and come the legal way. Uh, no immigration lawyer will tell you that really? because you can go back. That's just fairly easy. You can usually for the vast majority of people not come back lawfully. Wow. Um, and that's, it goes to how our immigration laws are written and have been written really since for the most part, since 1965, wow. um, your options for lawfully migrating on an, as an immigrant permanently are to have an employer sponsor. If you are very highly skilled, like a master's degree, hmm. Oh, wow. Um, there's only 5,000 visas per year that can possibly go f- to someone as an immigrant who is sponsored by an employer, but they're not highly skilled. Wow. So your odds of coming if you don't have a master's degree are basically none. Wow. Or you could have a family sponsor, um, but that's a close relative who's a U.S. citizen or a lawful permanent resident. Wow. Not, um, not your cousins or your grandparents. Um, so he doesn't have that. You could... Uh, win something called the Diversity Visa Lottery, which is an online lottery run by the State Department. Odds, wow. odds of winning are between 1 in 400, 1 in 500 last year. No kidding. Uh, but you can't enter if you're from Mexico. So he's out there. Or the Philippines, India, China, South Korea, any of the countries that send the most immigrants to the U.S. already. Or your fourth possibility is uh, refugee or asylum status. Hmm. So under U.S. law, a refugee is someone who has fled a, their country because of a well-founded fear of persecution on account of their race, religion, political opinion, national origin, or social group. Hmm. So uh, the refugees who were in my neighborhood met that definition. That doesn't mean that, you, oh, you're a refugee, you get to come to the United States. Last year, it was less than one-tenth of one percent of the world's refugees who were selected for a settlement. No kidding. But that's last year, it was you know 25,000 people or so. And in more normal times, it'd be closer to 70, 75,000 people. Wow. But still, that doesn't help my friend from, from Mexico yeah. who was fleeing poverty, but not persecution. Had he been fleeing persecution and he wasn't selected as a refugee, he might get himself to the U.S. Mm. and request asylum. That's some of what we're seeing in the news in the last several months is an increasing number of families, particularly from Central America, getting to the U.S. border. You can't request asylum in the United States from your country of origin. Mm. That's the refugee settlement process where your odds are one-tenth of one percent. Wow. Mm. But if you get to the border, our laws say we won't turn you back if you can prove that you have a credible fear of persecution for one of those reasons under gotcha. the law. Wow. All that to say, for my friend who's from Mexico fleeing very serious poverty, but not persecution, he doesn't qualify under that. Any of it. Wow. Yeah. He, doesn't, he doesn't fit in any of those categories. And, and anyway, 
now he's here. He's been here literally 25, 30 years. Wow. And he's considered, because of his Christian faith, he's considered going back. You know, he's, he's anguished by this. Wow. But that's a complicated decision. Yes, it I is. I mean, it's, he's got kids who are born here who have only ever been educated in English. I mean, it really for them would be a question of they probably would rather go move in with their cousins or their Stay. friends and finish high school and right. college in this country. Uh, he's got a wife. I don't know if they've talked about this, but sometimes we see cases where there's differences of opinions within a yeah. marriage. You know, yeah. husband thinks, you know what, God's telling me I need to go back. And wife says, I don't think she's, he's telling me that. And yeah. you want to keep your marriage together. Yeah. You think God would want you to keep your marriage together. And then, I mean, even, even biblically from first Timothy, there's, you know, we're told that everyone must provide for his family and especially yeah. his immediate relatives. And, um, if anyone does not suit, so it's they are worse than an unbeliever. I mean, that's strong language from the Apostle Paul. Yep. Yeah, kind of like the strong language in Romans thirteen. So, uh, <laughs> Complicated. Yeah. You know, you've got believers who are really struggling with that tension. They want to follow the law, but they want to keep their families together. They want to provide for their families. Right. And I kind of punt on the question of any indiv- particular individual case. There's so many different cases. Yeah. But what I'm pretty confident of is I would love to be able to tell him, you need to go to this office, fill out this form, pay this fine. He's not looking for an amnesty that's yeah. a free pass. He's yeah. looking for a way to to make restitution, to make right. things right. And that's actually the sort of policy we've called for at World Relief for more than a decade now. Explicitly not an amnesty. We don't think it should be a free pass. We mm. think acknowledging that the law has been broken is important, even if we understand the complex reasons people broke the law. Right. Yeah. But there ought to be some way for people to make things right. And in most cases where there's not criminal issues and people are providing for their families and they've been here 20, 30 years, we think that could be a payment of a significant fine. Okay. Oh my goodness. All right. So I have like so many so more many. questions now. So Thankfully, many. you're going to stick with us for the rest of the hour. Brian, I imagine I you got also first have questions. some questions. I got first question. Right, you get first question. <laughs> <laughs> when we come back, that's been Matt Storrens from World Relief here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. We have in the studio a very, very special guest, Matt Sorens, and I do need to keep my promise. You did promise. Brian Fromm, I think you get the first question. Just before we go there, though, I want to mention this a couple of times. If people are hearing and they want to get in contact with you or learn about your book or your ministry, what are a couple of places you would send them? Yeah, so we'll learn about World Relief, worldrelief.org, and if you're in the Chicagoland area, you can find our different offices there. Okay. Um, and then also the Evangelical Immigration Table, so that's evangelicalimmigrationtable.com, as right all sorts of, of great tools for churches and individuals. And you wrote a book, too. Yep, I wrote a couple of books. Uh, the, the first, and I've been recently updated, is called Welcoming the Stranger with my colleague Jenny Yang. Nice. And then uh, we did another book with Moody Publishers two years ago, three years ago now, um, with a couple of other World Relief colleagues called Seeking Refuge. It's really uh, specifically about the refugee crisis. Awesome. And Good. we'll link all of that to the Facebook page for everybody, too. We will. Matt, I'm curious, uh, increasingly... Uh, you hear people who the immigration conversation and debate is driven by fear. They're, they're, I would like to give them the benefit of the doubt and say genuine fear about what's going to happen if we let people in illegally or this and that. Could you speak, especially to the Christ follower out there who just feel, feels a lot of fear around this topic? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I would say that, uh, you know, I've watched cable television programs that are really scary yes. on this topic, right? Yeah. Like there's yes. a lot of reasons that people are afraid. Yeah, Some of it's based in in accurate information often it's based in sort of half accurate information or misleading information sometimes it's you know not everything you read on facebook is has to be rooted in any sort of fact like it can <laughs> what? be completely false um but i think that you know it's understandable given the the information that people have received or the sort of partial information that people are sometimes afraid mm-hmm. um 
I would respond to that in two ways. One is to look at the facts. Is this information correct? So you hear, you know, really scary stories of immigrants committing crimes, for example. And often on an anecdotal basis, some of those are true. Um, There was a horrific crime in Iowa a year or so ago Mm -hmm. where an immigrant who was unlawfully present in the country killed a woman. That's a terrible, horrible thing to do. It's a sinful thing to do. It's a criminal thing to do. And of course, that person, person, if they're... Uh, you know, once convicted, I would want them to be deported as well. Mm. What's not fair to presume is they are a representative sample of everyone who's unlawfully present in the country. Uh, In fact, if you look at FBI crime data, we know that that's not the case. And we know actually consistently that immigrants, and this is true specifically whether people are lawfully present or not lawfully present, commit crimes at a lower rate than native-born U.S. citizens. Um, And by the way, I don't think that's because they're more virtuous than U.S. citizens. I think it's probably because the consequences as an immigrant, you're not a naturalized citizen, if you commit a crime, there's a real serious risk of being deported, even for what most of us would consider fairly minor offenses. Mm. So you've got an incentive not to commit that crime. That's actually a good thing, right? We don't want people committing crimes. It's a bad thing when you're afraid of law enforcement when you're a witness to a crime Mm. or a victim of a crime, which is a whole other dynamic. Right. But that's an example of a situation where sometimes we hear sort of anecdotal stories, but they are not representative of the whole story. Yeah. But then I would also go to the Bible, and I think the fundamental biblical message is, is that perfect love casts out fear. Mm. Um, we're told repeatedly in the, in the Bible to be not afraid, mm. which is in, not necessarily an, an American cultural value. Yeah. You know, we... Um, we, you know, say goodbye to our kids in the morning and say, be safe, mm, you know, right. take care. That's like how you close your email. But the biblical message <laughs> is be not afraid. Yes. Take courage. Yes. And not because you can have so much confidence in the U.S. government to make sure that nothing bad would ever happen to you. Although, you know, there's reasons to actually have a lot of confidence in things like our vetting process for refugees. Yeah. But biblically, we can be not afraid because of who our God is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, not the odds that an immigrant is going to physically harm you are very, very slim. But frankly, Jesus's message is, you know, don't be afraid of someone who can take the body. Um, yeah. So we should be focused on on obeying God's commands and trusting God's provision. And I know that sounds a little trite to just go back to a Bible verse, but I, you know, I think it is a it's a one two punch. A, if you are afraid, um, that's understandable, but it's probably not based on actual data. I mean. Mm you should be more afraid of your U.S. citizen neighbor, which I do not recommend either. You know, it's <laughs> right. not a you should have right. neighbor right. when you're afraid That's of them. That's not the Matt Sorn's yeah. message today. Yes. <laughs> but statistically, those people are more likely to be violent criminals than your immigrant neighbor. Right. Um, but... Again, if we go back to loving your neighbors, it, that's our core command that's supposed to sum up the rest of the scriptures. And it's really hard to love people who are afraid of. Yeah, yeah that's really good. Really good. You, you tweeted something, I think yesterday, about somebody who lost like a decades long battle for legal status. And I appreciate it so much, too, because I hope this is OK to say you're like, this is why I was crying washing the dishes. I think is what you said. <laughs> something like that. Like, yeah. it, So for you, mm. what, what you've been hearing, what I've been hearing is just so much solid information and doctrine and holy cow but this is also something that you feel like deep in your heart i want to hear a little bit more about that and maybe to the someone who's listening thinking a decades-long battle how long could this take like i think that's new information for people would you talk to those two things a little bit yeah so this particular case and i don't have any personal connection to this but i just i heard about it in the news um it's a a woman originally from the philippines uh actually a pastor's wife right here in the northwest suburbs Mm -hmm. of chicago um originally from the philippines uh, she had uh, been on a temporary visa of some sort and overstayed, applied for asylum, which a lot of people from the Philippines did back in the, uh, if you go back to like the Marcos era where bad things mm-hmm. were happening in the Philippines. Right. But her asylum claim was denied. And apparently she was ordered deported 
but didn't realize that, which is sounds hard to understand. But if you've got a not great lawyer, that's not totally inconceivable. No kidding. Um, So she didn't know she had a pending deportation order. She uh, met this guy who's a pastor. His first wife had passed away um, from cancer, I believe. And they, you know, they fell in love. They got married. Uh, She moved up here to Chicago. And they have been married. This was, I believe, 2000, 2001 in that area. I don't remember the exact details, but okay. so they've been married for they had, for quite a long time. Um, because of this, they determined that they had to wait 10 years because of this past immigration issue. So then in the last few years, they filed a new petition thinking her, her husband's a U.S. citizen. In fact, he, again, he's a pastor. Right. He's actually a custodian at Moody Bible Institute. Oh, wow. Um, he, uh, he files a petition for her. They go to their interview thinking they're finally going to get this taken care of. And instead, uh, she's detained and put into the McHenry County Jail for uh, quite a while. They had to go figure out where she was. That's actually where our federal government leases space in county jails and sometimes from private companies to detain people pending deportation hearings. And then she was deported late last month um, back to the Philippines. She was 66 years old. She is 66 years old. She's been in this country for more than 30 years. And. I mean, that's it's a particular story that's really devastating. Um, and, and people can you know go look that story up. Her name was uh, is Julita, Julita Bartolome. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a GoFundMe page to help her family with expenses and that sort of thing. Wow. But for me, it hits home because actually it's not that unique of a case. I mean, uh-huh. I did legal services for World Relief for many years. And, um, you know, we would f- I encountered people with that sort of a situation on a fairly regular basis. First of all, confused about what their options were under immigration law. Very often, I mean, I wouldn't, I hope by World Relief, and we weren't involved in that case, we wouldn't have actually filed that case knowing that it might have actually brought the situation to the attention of the immigration right. services. We might advise them, we don't make decisions for people, you know, file this or don't, but we might have told them, hmm. if you file this case and this is the current situation, this could happen. Yes, right. Um, but, you know, it's hard to find authorized affordable legal services. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not something that's, that, that's common. That's why we, you know, we're glad we can do that at World Relief and we work with local churches to do that in some cases. Um, but those stories are fairly common. People wow. doing everything they can to do things the quote unquote the right way. Yeah, right. And it still isn't always possible. Yeah. Wow. I'm curious just how high is your level of uh, discouragement? Are you giving your wow. life to this and the, the tide of our culture seems to be going hard. Yeah. So when you're, like you said, when you're watching political news or hearing political rhetoric or just hearing stuff in the church, wherever, yeah. you discouraged or does it fuel you a little bit of both? Kind of paradoxically, I mean, the policies of the last few years, very frankly, have been really hard on immigrants. Mm-hmm. They've been hard on refugees. Their numbers are way down. They've been hard on uh, various categories of immigrants. And, uh, you know, I, I go to a Spanish-speaking church. I live in an immigrant community in Aurora. It affects people I know really directly. Yeah. But paradoxically, I also work with churches that are leaning into this in a way that, mm. frankly, it was hard to find churches willing to do that five, six years ago. Well, churches didn't want to touch this. Right. And that so many more churches are saying, we've got to think biblically about this topic. We can't just let the culture decide for us or the one political party or another decide what to think. We need to lean in the Bible. That's super encouraging to me. Yeah. And I do see a lot of evidence that more and more that's happening in churches. That's mm. awesome. We've been listening to Matt Sorens from World Relief. He's going to stick with us for one more segment. I think we're going to talk maybe some immigration refugees, maybe a little border wall. If you want to go mm. there, I'll tee that up. See if we want to take a swing. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. 
back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can call us, 312-660-2594. But I am so, so grateful for you, sir. Matt Sorens of World Relief, here incarnate, in the flesh, <laughs> taking a whole hour with us. I, I mean, I'm not surprised by it, but this has been so encouraging and Absolutely. so inspiring, but also really challenging. And Brian mm-hmm. and I, we mentioned it ad nauseum. We're both pastors, so it's hard not to hear everything that you're saying through the lens of the big C church and the, the local church. And I'm wondering with the time we have left, could you just speak to in light of everything, what is the church's role? Sure. You know, one thing I do sometimes when I speak at churches, I use an acronym. Churches love acronyms. So <laughs> it's true. Please. Um, the, the first the point in that acronym is prayer, which again, isn't just a cop out because lease was a terrible acronym, but um, <laughs> we, we really should be praying about any tough topic yeah. and starting and, you know, our response should be fueled out of prayer, praying for the immigrants in our communities, praying for our churches, praying for our elected officials. We're told to pray for kings and all those in authority. So whether yes. you like the president or not or your senators or whoever, mm. we're called to be praying for those people. The L would be listening. Mm. And I think that's intentionally before some of the other points, um, listen first and foremost to the scriptures. Again, we actually did a survey with Lifeway Research on this a few years ago and asked self-described evangelical Christian, what most influences your views on the topic of immigration? Mm. Only 12% managed to say the Bible. No kidding. Mm. And usually people lie in these surveys. So if you're a Christian, the Bible was sort of the right answer. (laughs) Um, Still, only 12% said the Bible. Interesting. One tool we have for that, and you can find this on YouVersion's Bible app or it's on the evangelicalimmigrationtable.com website, is just a simple Bible reading guide that's 40 scriptures that speak in one way or another, another to the topic. We call it the I Was a Stranger Challenge. Wow. Mm. Uh, but also listening to the stories of immigrants and refugees and asylum seekers themselves. Because mm. when you know an individual and you've heard their story, it often is transformative in a way that just hearing statistics doesn't you know, open our hearts yeah. and our minds. Right. The E, I would say, is empowering churches abroad. Because ultimately, most immigration is a symptom of a problem somewhere else. There's a reason that people often feel so desperate to leave their country or even just looking at refugees specifically who fled persecution. You know, there's uh, 25 million refugees in the world. And last year, the United States took 23,000 of them. Like the vast majority of the refugees in the world are not coming to the U.S. Mm -hmm. So even while at World Relief, we're really passionate about helping those who do come. We also are really passionate and we do this through our programs in the Middle East and Africa and elsewhere about coming alongside churches in other parts of the world who frankly are serving a much larger number of people, usually with far fewer resources. Mm -hmm. And that's an important way for the American church to be involved as well as just coming alongside that work. Uh, the A is advocacy. Uh, one simple definition of advocacy is, is Proverbs 31, verse 8. It's to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, I just told you to listen to immigrants, so I don't want to describe immigrants as people who cannot speak for themselves. Yeah. Right, right. But there is a sense in terms of when it comes to sort of the structural public policy questions, if you are not a citizen, you don't get to vote. If you don't get to vote, most elected officials don't care all that much what you think. Mm-hmm. But most of us are citizens, and that means probably that you know most most elected officials do care what we think, probably yeah. more than most of us realize. Hmm. And at World Relief and, and the Evangelical Immigration Table, we're very explicitly nonpartisan. We're not here to tell you who to vote for. Yeah. But we do want both Republicans and Democrats and independents and whoever else to support public policies that we think are consistent with biblical values. Hmm. So we, we outlined some of those things at the Evangelical Immigration Table. Basic principles, like our laws should reflect the idea that every person's made in God's image. Yeah. That we want to keep families together. That we want to respect the rule of law. That we think it's appropriate to have secure national boundaries. We've always been really 
really clear about that. We should have secure borders, mm. that we should be fair to taxpayers, and then that we have some sort of a process for people who, who are unlawfully present to make restitution and earn the chance to stay lawfully in the country. Mm. That's kind of the big principles we've looked at. And then you could apply that. Well, what about the number of refugees? What about what do we do with asylum seekers at the border? What, how do those principles come into play? Right. But advocacy is really important right now in particular. Yeah. The S in that PLEASE acronym is, is serving locally. Mm. So I know lots of folks who would be listening, if you're not you know, online from somewhere else in the world, are here in Chicagoland. World Relief has three offices in Chicagoland, in, in the north side of Chicago, in Carroll Stream, in DuPage County, and in Aurora. Mm. We're also all the way out in Moline. So, uh, and there's lots of other good organizations working yep. with local churches. Um, Chicagoland has tons of immigrants. It's one of the most diverse cities, yep. in, and not just the city, but the suburbs as well. Um, so there's tons of opportunities to meet very tangible needs, mm. um, whether that's helping with English classes or helping kids with their homework or helping a newly arrived family as they get on their feet. Um, uh, my first job with World Relief was helping churches host citizenship workshops where we wow. help people who first we our legal staff would make sure people actually qualified for citizenship. Right. And then church based volunteers would um, help them fill out the application. Gotcha. And we've got churches like like Community Christian in, in East Aurora that helps with tutorings for people mm-hmm. who are they're applying for citizenship. They've got to pass a test that surveys have shown most Americans cannot pass. <laughs> oh, wow. The history and that. civics of the United States. So we help them to study for that. Uh, there's all sorts of ways for churches to be involved. And if um, World Relief is, again, we exist to empower the church. And we have a pretty good coverage of the Chicagoland area to do that. Mm. And then the last piece is evangelism. That as mm. we serve people, as we advocate with people, as we love people as our neighbors, we have the opportunity to point people to the hope of the gospel. Mm, yeah. And I always would warn people that there's a pretty good chance that your immigrant neighbor who you love will share the gospel right back at you. Yes, I right. Mean, and frankly, sometimes <laughs> in ways that that we need to hear. I mean, yeah. mo- most of my neighbors where I used to live were Burmese refugees. Um, Bur- Burma, for those people, for people who may not be familiar with Burma or Myanmar, it's a largely Buddhist country with all sorts of very authoritarian, corrupt government Mm -hmm. that doesn't particularly tolerate religious minorities. Um, So Christians are a very small minority in Burma, but they've been 70% of the refugees resettled in the last decade or so. And I've had some of my Karen Burmese neighbors literally at my door to make sure I know who Jesus is. I mean, there was a (laughs) Karen Karen Burmese church that met in the apartment underneath mine. You'd know church was happening both because it's like loud worship music and there's like 40 sets of shoes outside of the apartment. (laughs) Um, Burmese people do not wear shoes in the house. That's one of the cultural things we'll teach you if you volunteer with us. Interesting. (laughs) But, um, you know, I don't know what it's like to be persecuted for my faith. Yeah. I know what it's like to face like mild, subtle insults for my faith. Right, right. And we get very up in arms about that in the United yep. States. Yep. We think like our Starbucks cup doesn't say Merry Christmas and we're being persecuted. <laughs> but that's not really persecution. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who really have been persecuted and a small portion of them end up coming to the United States. Yeah. By the, but there are others who don't know Jesus. Right, who absolutely. Who would be very unlikely to ever encounter Jesus in their country of origin. and yeah. Or who might have a nominal faith of some sort. And, uh, you know, I've, we've found at World Relief, you know, we don't do proselytism, so we don't trick people into following Jesus. We don't mm. say we'll serve you better if you pray this prayer. But we do believe in evangelism rightly understood, which is an open invitation, not a mm. high pressure pitch. But often that comes in response to a question. Yeah. Yep. Because when it's a team from a church that meets a, a Muslim family at the airport and genuinely loves them as their neighbors without any pretext of we will love you so long as you come to our church within yes. three weeks. Yes. When we really do the loving your neighbor thing well, it is rare that sooner or later there's not that question mm-hmm. of why. Yeah. Why do you love us so much? And we get to, as First Peter says, to be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks for the reason for the hope that's within you. Yeah. That's brilliant. And we've seen people, uh, I was on the phone this earlier today with a friend who came from Iran, who's become a believer in the last several years, and I was there at his baptism. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, and um, he's helping lead a, a, 
Farsi speaking church plant now. I mean, you know, so it's not even just like he's not an object of mission. Right. He's also an agent of mission. <laughs> yes, yes. And, um, you know, we, some of the best people doing that sort of work are people who bring some cultural and language yeah. skills with them. That's so, good. so I think that's, you know, it's a huge opportunity for the church. And I worry that we miss the opportunity when we only think of this as a political issue. That's right. Okay, so like in the 30 seconds we have left, I want to get personal for Matt Soren's name. Mm. How can we, Brian and I, and the audience listening, be praying for you for your work at World Relief? Yeah. Like just let us in a little bit into how we can kind of come alongside you. Yeah, guys. well, we appreciate that. I mean, it is a stressful time because of all the changes to immigration policy. I mean, yeah. frankly, one of the press reports right now is the refugee resettlement ceiling set on an annual basis for the coming year might be zero. Yes, right. So no new refugees arriving. That's just a rumor at this point, but it's an advocacy point, but certainly also a prayer point. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And then also for us at World Relief, I mean, that's a that's not the only thing we do. We'll still be here in the uh-huh. Chicagoland area if there's no refugees arriving, but it's a big part of what we do. So yes. across the country, we're adapting and adjusting while also pushing back against some of that and saying we don't yeah. think that's right. But yeah, we'd appreciate prayer as an organization. Financial support's really helpful right now because uh, part of our budget historically has been uh, a governmental grant that covers part of the expenses. Yep. A lot of that has gone away in the last two years. And wow. they, can, they can give at worldrelief.org? Worldrelief.org, sure. Great. That's where they go. They can make a donation. I cannot encourage people listening enough to do that buy everything Matt has ever written or will ever write <laughs> in the future so, honest to God yeah. thank you so much for the time this for your heart for what you're doing in the world this has been awesome yeah so happy to be here thank this has been you. Matt Storens here on The Common Good on AM 1160 hope for your life three-star general Michael J. Flynn head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary Flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal Flynn told the truth he was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.